1: I'm Ron Aaron, your host, and delighted to have you with us. Every week we talk about issues and topics that affect caregiving, caregivers, and care recipients, and we're delighted to be joined by our co-host, Carol Zernial. Carol is Executive Director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, serves as Vice President of Social Responsibility for WellMed Medical Management, past Chair of the Board of Directors of the National Council on Aging. She has a Master's Degree in Social Gerontology. More than 25 years' experience in the field of aging and caregiving, and is the Next Avenue Top 50 influencer on aging. And Carol, it's great to see you. I noticed you're in Venice today.
2: I am. I, you know, I continue to hang out here with my Venice virtual background, at least, during COVID.
1: And being isolated under COVID, you spent a lot of time both in your home and then in your dad's home in Amarillo. Are you getting uh, stir-crazy?
2: Um, you know, I definitely feel it sometimes we're fortunate, uh, that we don't have all of the bad weather here in the winter time. And so still able to get outside and that, that, fresh air certainly makes a difference.
1: And how are the outside cats doing?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, the outside cats are now only neighbors cats. And so, um, you know, they, my indoor cats don't like them. And so we're kind of, we're kind of not talking to them right now.
1: So they stare at each other through the glass.
2: Through the door, yeah, and try to hit each other through the glass, which is a little bit entertaining, I must admit.
1: It must be. Well, we have a guest joining us today who's been a regular on our program, spoken as well at the uh, uh, Consumer Advocacy Program that is run by Wellmet Charitable Foundation. Barry Jacobs is joining us. He is well-known in the field of aging. He is a psych D in clinical psychology. He's a family therapist and a principal for Health Management Associates a national healthcare or consulting firm. For 24 years, he was Director of Behavioral Science at the Crozer Keystone Family Medical Residency Program in Springfield, Pennsylvania. And it is always a delight, Barry, to have you on. We learn from you every time you join us. So thank you for giving us your time.
3: Uh, My pleasure, Ron. Good to see you and good to see Carol uh, enjoying uh, Italy. (laughs) <laughs>
2: well one i think we're the, gonna we don't let us forget to punch your frequent flyer card before the end of the day because i think that you're becoming one of our you know our medallion or elite status uh return guests that's on that true on here
1: and we don't uh, always invite them back barry you're great uh, Happy no, to have you back. Thank
3: you. And, you know that's uh I, I gotta i gotta perform then i gotta gotta come with good stuff today that's right well, but, well, unlike other it.
2: places we don't give you a free drink
3: and we've got a
1: tough topic that uh Uh, you selected for today, how family caregivers can handle their loved one's memory loss. And I know I saw my mom go through that with my dad, who uh, slowly but surely uh, sank into full-blown dementia. Uh, But it began, as it always does, not always, but it began very slowly and was a real challenge for her and for us, uh, the kids. So Barry, talk to me about that. How do you handle that?
3: Well, first, I want to say, uh, Ron, that you know, mem- short-term memory problems are one of the most common symptoms of, of dementia, uh, regardless of the type of dementia. Uh, and oftentimes, um, you know, people will start forgetting uh, uh, not just names uh, and and maybe uh, appointments, which is I think fairly normal for for many of us and myself included. Uh, but really, forgetting more significant things like what they had for breakfast. Uh, a conversation that they might've just had. Uh, and I, you know, so I think it's very important to distinguish what are memory changes that are associated with normal aging versus uh, memory uh, problems that probably are associated with, with more significant cognitive decline uh, that we call dementia.
1: In the beginning, my mom would uh, enable my dad. She'd fill in what he couldn't remember. And it was almost seamless unless you knew what was going on.
3: Uh, I think that's very common for, for many couples. And, uh, you know, if two, two spouses have been together forever, they've been finishing their sentences for decades anyway. So it, it works out very well. Right. Um, but in terms of, of, of the question of how to handle memory losses, it, 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 uh, it becomes um, a real point of frustration for many caregivers, especially if their loved one is, is asking the same question again and again and again, something that we call perseveration. Or if the loved one is forgetting to do th- things that are very important, like using their walker or, um, uh, you know, wearing their uh, their med alert that will will uh, help them be safer walking around the house. Uh, and then caregivers are concerned about safety and can, often get very frustrated and, and sometimes upset. Uh, so the story I, I you know, I, I I love to tell is really have to do with my, my mom who had dementia and I would be uh, uh, chiding her all the time whenever she would forget things that I, I told her, and that, frankly, even though I knew it was the wrong thing to do, it was sort of what I fell into naturally. Uh, but when the caregiver is is pointing out the care receiver's memory deficits all the time, it doesn't help that member, that that care receiver f- uh, function better. It only, if anything, makes them more flustered, causes them to stumble and stammer more, and if anything, to 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 really perform worse. And so uh, really to handle a loved one's memory problems requires a lot of patience uh, and not telling people uh, what they seemingly forgotten, but maybe cueing them. And so, right, cueing them as in telling them, um, giving them a little hint of, of what the answer may be so that they can come up with, with, with that uh, answer on their own and, and then continue to feel good that, they're, uh, that they are having, uh, coming up with the right answer.
1: We'll talk more about that, but for those who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernial. Our special guest is Dr. Barry Jacobs. We're talking about how family caregivers can handle the loved one's memory loss. And we began talking about really things you shouldn't do, but all of us end up doing. Carol?
2: Well, you know, I just wanted to comment on, you know, I think that that First step, you know, recognizing when somebody has a memory loss and not giving the quiz. So all of us have seen the relatives of, you know, what you, what's your name, what you know, and they go through the list: who's this, who am I, who is that, what's this, and just giving them a little test every day uh, to help. At least I've seen my relatives; some of that that had Alzheimer's. Other relatives were always trying to quiz them, um, and and it would be very frustrating. Uh, to them because they couldn't remember they weren't going to remember and no amount of quizzing. It's not like the New York times puzzle or anything. You're just Uh not going to get better at those answers. So kind of letting that go is kind of a first thing when you recognize somebody has memory loss and thinking, what else would I rather do than spend all day trying to help somebody remember something they're not going to do. I mean, that's, you know, uh, what would be better for them? What would make them feel better and me feel better? I like the idea of the cues um, or you know, just recognizing where the limits are and, and kind of meeting them where they are and, and maybe doing more make-believe, maybe doing more, you know, other talking about other things um, if it's not necessarily a behavior issue.
1: Gary, what is it psychologically that uh, uh, triggers that repetitive question uh, that, that uh, some folks begin asking?
3: Uh, so I, I think it's very directly related to memory loss. I mean, people literally forget that they've just asked, a question and, and received an answer and then five minutes later the, the same question occurs to them. They say, oh let me let me bring this up. And then they ask it again and then again don't don't really remember the answer that's that's given. And so that's called perseveration. And it, it really is one of the most frustrating things for caregivers to have someone asking them question the same question sometimes 10, 15, 20 times. Um, and and sometimes caregivers will write down the answer and then just hold up the piece of paper and say, hey, here here it is. I already told you this um, but the, the problem here is the more impatient the caregiver gets, uh, the, the less uh, understanding they are, uh, less empathetic they are, the, the, the more the care receiver becomes uh, upset, uh, loses face, and, and the more they're going to have memory problems and other cognitive issues. And so we, we have to find a way to, as Carol says, not to confront them with quizzes and, and also to, to, to give them, you know, if need be, not ask them questions that they can't answer. Uh, or as I was saying before, give them a hint, give them just enough information to get them going. The way memory works, and I'll be really simple, is it takes it's three processes. We have to pay attention, we have to store the information that we've paid attention to, and then we have to be able to retrieve it. One of the things that happens with dementia is people still can pay attention, they still can store the information, but they can't retrieve the information. It's in their brain, but they just can't pull it out. But if you tell them, you know, uh, I remember I, 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 it smells like uh, eggs here. Is that what you had for breakfast this morning? And the person says, oh, yeah, I had eggs. I had I made scrambled eggs this morning and bacon and toast. And it kind of all comes back to them with that little bit of cueing to help them retrieve the information that's in there because they still have the capability of storing it in there.
1: And, and with the question, uh, do I have a doctor's appointment today? Do I have a doctor's appointment today? Do I have a doctor's appointment today?
3: Yes. So um, there, so I mean, there were a number of different strategies. So one would be to uh, basically create a calendar so that someone can actually go, go to the calendar and visually see and train themselves to visually see what's gonna be on their schedule that day. Um, and then so that they're getting not just a verbal cue of the information, but they're getting a visual cue of the information. And sometimes visual and verbal means the information being stored in two different places in the brain. And so they're gonna be more apt to remember that information or the, the, the caregiver just has to simply answer the question again and again in as kind a of way as they can um, and uh, and then and not become increasingly irritated uh, with, with the question and, and maybe put their coat on, in, you know, indicate in other ways that they're going to be going off to the doctor soon.
2: Yeah. And, you know, another game that my my both my mother-in-law and my mother had dementia. And so sometimes with repetitive questions, I would try to I try to figure out why are they asking the question? The what time is it, the what time is it, what is it, you know, are they hungry? Are they asking that question because they're hungry? And so also doing a little bit of sleuthing to see what's the motivation for them asking what time is it, or if they're going to the doctor, do you not feel well? You know, it just, it it doesn't always work, but sometimes you can uh, kind of either redirect or you can find what it is that that question is being why they're asking the question.
3: I I like that idea. The thing which, which I found with my mom is that she would be very anxious. So if I told her that we were going to go to the doctors the next day, then she would literally get up at two o'clock in the morning and get dressed and be waiting for me to pick her up for six hours, seven hours until, till I would show up. And then she'd be furious at me that I had kept her waiting. Uh, so she had lost all sense of time. So it wasn't simply a memory problems, but other cognitive problems included. Um, but so I had to be careful as to when I gave her information to not, Provoke a lot of anxiety. Uh, So, you know, there there are lots of different pieces to this. And as you point out, uh, Carol, we we have to become really good problem solvers to figure out what's the strategy that's going to work best with our loved one to help them perform as well as possible with memory and other tasks and and not to provoke, uh, not to confront them and not to provoke anxiety if we can help it.
2: Yeah, no. And and I think that's kind of a, a new way about thinking about it is we do that sometimes naturally with children. Where we want you to succeed in school, we encourage you, we give you clues, and we're happy that we're helping things get better. It's a little bit harder with an older person, but if you think about it, how do I make that person succeed? Um, that's a whole different frame of reference for responding to those questions and the behaviors, because now you're working on what does success look like, and it might be one thing one day. You know, they can be very small, but uh, you know, just a goal of having one fun, happy moment a day with your loved one and, and just, you know, keeping at it until you get that and you get that together. I mean, just think what, how that would change the dynamic of a day.
3: So Barry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, and, and you know, I, I love that idea Carol, of Carol of basically accepting people where they are and if they succeed in one way, uh, remember one thing that we, we, we praise them for it. We, we don't, you know, we don't belittle it that they, they forgot everything else and they remember this one thing. So the problem I found emotionally as a caregiver with my mom is I still had very high expectations for her. She'd always been a, a high performer, a very smart lady. And then when she couldn't remember things, I would say, don't you remember, mom? With the kind of intensity that I had, because it was upsetting to me to see her diminished in some way so that I my confrontation was based on my own emotional reaction. I had to accept her just where she was and, and, and help her succeed just where she was, just, just as you say.
1: Some of what you're talking about are
3: expectations. You sure. expected
1: her to do better.
3: Um, yeah. So, and it, it's one of the really tough things about expectations and dementia is people's wax, you know, the dementia, they say waxes and wanes. You know, in the course of any given day, there are people who may perform better one time a day than another. Usually people perform with dementia, perform better in the morning, and then as the day wears on, they get more tired and they perform worse. But from one day to another, their performance may vary. So then it becomes very difficult to, to, to know what to expect. So someone can be fairly sharp one day, at least for a few hours, and the next day they could be a mess. And so we, we have to really be sensitive to where they are at any given time and then then peg our expectations to, to where they are then.
1: Now hold that thought. We're going to come right back to the two of you. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernial, talking with Dr. Barry Jacobs about caregivers and handling loved ones' memory loss, and then all that goes with that as well. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air. The WellMed Charitable Foundation would like to remind you it is important to stay connected while social distancing. Caregiver stress may be higher now and specialists are available to talk with. There's no question that we are living in not normal times, but whether the new normal will be the old normal is yet to be seen. So if you are troubled, if you are feeling stressed, Ask for help. Services are provided at no cost. See more at caregiversos.org. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. Good to see you once again. Hello, friend. Hello, friend. Good to see you once again. Thank you for sticking with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zernio, and we're talking about loved ones and memory loss and I want to go back to the beginning Barry where you said that uh, present memory loss is common among all types of dementia as the caregiver uh, how do you figure out and does it matter uh, where that dementia is coming from and what it will lead to?
3: So uh, if, 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 if we had different treatments effective treatments for different types of dementia I would say it would matter a great deal to, to help uh, diagnose a person with a specific type of dementia. But the, unfortunately, we don't have good treatments for any type of dementia. So kind of irregardless of the type, we, we basically treat people with some basic, basic medical uh, interventions and then a lot of, a lot of uh, supportive care. So most people, the majority of folks with dementia have Alzheimer's type dementia. But there are the, some that have vascular dementia, frontal temporal lobe dementia. They have different, somewhat different symptoms. Though one of the symptoms that's common to all of them is short-term memory problems.
1: And some of those uh, uh, dementias you mentioned, uh, frontal lobe, uh, the uh, individual acts out in very strange ways.
3: Well, with frontal temporal lobe dementia, people kind of lose a lot of their inhibitions. They lose their 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 judgment and then they become uh, very reactive, they, they become uh, impulsive, and then they can say things and do things, as you say, Ron, which are very strange. And, and we don't have any real treatment yet. I mean, we're, there's a lot of ongoing research, um, but uh, this has been one of the major frustrations of, of all of us who, who work in the aging field and the dementia fields, and that is we don't have great treatments. That's one of, the, one of the reasons why the care that caregivers provide is all the more important. It's not like we have a pill that, that we can give someone and help them with their memory issues or any other cognitive issues or help them with their behavior. So it's, it's really up to family caregivers to provide the supportive environment to help people be safe, to live dignified lives, and to bring out the best in them.
1: Now, was it your mother's dementia that led you into this field?
3: Uh, actually, Ron, it was uh, what led me into this field many years ago. As my dad had brain cancer um, while I was a teenager, uh, and uh, brain cancer is another kind of uh, insult to the brain. And he too had short-term memory problems. He also had other symptoms of of his uh, brain cancer, but it was because of of the way his brain was affected that, that I and, and I saw how my family was affected. By his very serious uh, uh, medical issue, which eventually uh, caused his death, that led me to become a psychologist, uh, made you know focusing on families who were struggling with illness.
2: Well, you you, you reminded me of um, you know another kind of a caveat that's good to know as people are wondering what's going on with my loved one. Maybe some of the behavior is strange. You know, there are some memory loss. But, you know, things, something, it really is wrong when a personality changes, because personality doesn't change memory, make, you know, we, but when somebody is a, starts being a different person, that's really a time we want to encourage people to go get
3: professional help. Uh, absolutely. I mean, one of, one of the things that I, I, I hear the caregivers who I see as psychotherapy clients, uh, I hear them complain about all the time is when a loved one loses their, their sense of initiation, they just kind of sit you know, static in one place all day long. This might have been someone who was always full of vim and vigor and running around doing things and, you know, making Ohio plans, and that they simply cease to do that anymore. And that's a kind of personality change that is, is really suggestive of, of more advancing dementia. And yes, that would be, uh, hopefully people have gone to a neurologist long before then, but if they haven't, then that certainly would be a sign. If some, you know, we say that as people get age, they slow down a little bit, but not to to, to simply sit in place all day long. At that point, we got to kind of question what's going on. Are they depressed? Are they or are they having a loss of initiation due to dementia?
1: And there's right. one thing, Carol. I remember you talking about is, uh, dementia doesn't come on all at once. Uh, today is one day, and the next day, total memory is gone. Right,
2: right. And I've had people say, "My mom got Alzheimer's this morning." Right. I don't think that you're, uh, I, you know, something's going on and you certainly want to get that checked out because you don't go from Tuesday, 100% fine to Wednesday, all of a sudden you have dementia.
3: Right. Along, along those lines, if someone has a, a sudden decrease in, in, in cognition, then it basically means that they've had sudden, some sudden medical event, and most likely a stroke or or a heart attack, which is you know interfering with the amount of blood that's getting to their brain, and absolutely they need to have a medical evaluation to figure out what's happened.
2: Right, and and I think that's what you know is important here is that there are situations that caregivers really don't want to go it alone. You know there are places you want to call a Barry Jacobs, you want to get professional help or you want to call your primary care doctor, your neurologist um, because if if a behavior is so extreme that you absolutely one hundred percent can't handle it, then rather than do, you know not getting any help from anybody talking to somebody else that that outside help, whether it's medical help or behavior problem help or resource help, the help part is so important.
3: I agree with Carol, but I also will say that I think most families err on the side of of not taking any steps at all. They don't want to upset the person. They don't want to step on their toes, interfere with their lives, and so they they often uh, will bring their loved one to a doctor late uh, because they you know they don't want to see that there are problems or because they just don't want to ruffle their their loved one. Um, and, um, I have, I've heard also many, many older adults. I I remember years ago running, uh, ran a group, it was called how to, you know, it was called how to talk with your adult children. It was mostly for people who were in their seventies and eighties and people in the group would all complain about how their children run their lives. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I always found it very interesting. Um, and in fact, there are lots of, 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 of you know, adult children who, who do can get concerned and then want their, their parents to go to the doctor and have different tests, have a driving test, et cetera. And the older adults resent it, maybe may resent it for good reason. So it becomes very hard for uh, when when an, an adult child tries to, to kind of push their parent towards get, getting some medical intervention, medical, medical evaluation, uh, and they're going to face that resistance. You're trying to run my life.
2: Right, right. Well, um, and, you know, another question that uh, I've heard, and I want to see if you think this is true. I've, I have had somebody say to me that people with real memory loss don't know it. So if somebody's worried they have memory loss, they don't have memory loss. But if they do if they do have memory loss, they don't know about it and they don't worry about it. What would you say to
3: that person? Uh, I disagree. Uh, in the early stages of short-term memory problems for someone with uh, dementia, there's an there's enormous amount of frustration. They know that they just had a conversation with somebody and they don't remember what the contents of that conversation were. I just spoke with someone a few days ago who is in the probably mid to moderate range of dementia. She knows her daughter took her to the hospital, but she couldn't remember whether she got the COVID vaccine or not, and it frustrated her terribly. She's got real memory problems. Um, I think what you're describing is more what we call insight When people lack the ability to self-reflect and know they have problems, that's a different cognitive issue. You
1: know, Barry, I I saw a little piece of that at a doctor's office yesterday where I was for a regular appointment and probably a daughter was there with her granddad or father and she went to get him to leave and he said, but I haven't gone back yet. They haven't seen me. And she said, well, yes, they did. You've got all the paperwork. He said, no, no, they never took me back. And so she went and double checked, and of course they had. He had no memory of seeing the doctor.
3: That would certainly be a short-term memory uh, problem for sure, right? If, 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 if and, and as you say, Ron, he didn't even remember that he didn't remember, right? So he, he didn't remember that the whole event had taken place. So it, correct. it's correct short-term memory problem and a lack of insight that he had, uh, you know, he had actually gone back to the doctor. If he had gone back to the doctor and the, and the granddaughter or daughter had said, what did the doctor say? And he said, you know what? I can't remember that. That's, 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 that's a less severe problem, but not to remember at all that he had even gone back from the waiting room to the doctor suggests more severe memory problems and a lack of insight that he has that memory problem.
1: Well, she handled it very well from what I could see. She didn't get flustered, didn't get upset, didn't pressure him. And finally, uh, uh, showing him the paperwork, I, I don't know if he knew what it was, uh, convinced him that he'd been back, and off they went back to the car and home.
3: So she—that would be a kind of cueing, right? She gave her, she showed her evidence that something had in fact occurred, not to show him up. But to help him kind of t- take into account right Paul what happened if he can then read what's on the paper and say, oh yeah the doctor did say tell me about this because it's written right there then 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 he's be able to begin to to, to retrieve some of what's stored in his brain of what 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 uh, transpired in that medical appointment.
1: Well, you get the last word, Barry Jacobs. Flat out of time. We thank you so much for joining us, Carol Zerniel, our co-host. I'm Ron Aaron. Talk with you soon on Caregiver SOS on air.